and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello guys, and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I'm your host, Mark Kaler. Today we have the chief engineer from the Southern Wind, Michael Kennan. Now, I've, I've never called him Michael, and I've known him for years. It's always been Muncie. How are you doing today, Muncie? I'm doing good, and yourself? Great. I'm going to get off the normal start that we do to the podcast, because I need to know how Muncie came about. Muncie. The name Muncie, well, so when I was fishing back east, I'm from New England area, and I was fishing out of Portland, Maine on the uh, Karen Lynn, and I was new to a crew, and I had this Czechoslovakian that barely spoke any English. His name was Dennis. And uh, first day we get out there, he looks across at me and he goes, Name. I said, Mike. And he goes, No. And I was like, That's my name, dude. Like, he's like, No. Name. And I said, Mike. He's like, No. I go, The fuck, dude? That's my name. So he goes, Your name, Muncie. And I'm like, What the fuck is Muncie? Like, but. I was like, no, my name is Muncie. He's like, no, no, name Muncie. <laughs> so from then on, everybody on the boat called me Muncie. We came into offload in Portland, and uh, the dock guys are like, who's the new guy? Who the fuck is this guy? Oh, that's Muncie. That was it. Like, from then on, my name was Muncie, and no one else called me Michael. I mean, even my own dad doesn't call me Michael. He calls me Muncie. Really? Yeah. So, so it just stuck. That's it. Is it a pretty small fishing community over there? The fishing community is actually quite large on, on the northeast but it's mostly lobstermen i mean that's like in the state of maine those guys fish 270 days out of the year you yeah. know they they have the most active fisheries out there in new england the ground fish industry has kind of gone to crap which is why i fish in alaska full-time now uh but you know all the communities are real tight-knit and it's like being from a bunch of islands a lot of them are and everybody kind of fights for spots and like this is where my gear is and this is where your gear is so as tight as they can be they're still at war with each other it's like any fishery got you all right so let's let's go back to the traditional start now so uh Muncie, where were you born and what what initially brought you into the the fishing industry well i was born in columbus ohio and i was i believe four years old when we moved back to the east coast now both my parents my father was from augusta maine and my mother was from around the Boston area. And they decided to move back east because they were missing out on family. And um, so I was born in Columbus. I don't remember much of it except for trying to cut the grass once when I was a kid. Then we moved back to New England and we grew up um, in coastal New England, New Hampshire area, coastal Maine, renting you know winter properties down at the beach, spending a lot of time on the water. And that's where I fell in love with it. But with being near the water? Being on the water. So what was the first uh, instance that you got a commercial job? Well, the first time I went on a commercial dragger, I think I was 10 years old. Um, scared the shit out of me. And it was hard, you know, in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, to find a boat anywhere where people weren't doing a bunch of blow and guys weren't drunk all the time and no one had any substance abuse problems. And these guys would go fishing and anything. And... Uh, what people don't understand is they compare like the Alaska fisheries to the Northeast, and they think, "Oh, you guys are a bunch of pussies." Well, we're, we're go going out and fishing in forty-foot boats and forty to fifty knots of wind in the winter. Where up here, you're, you know, you're on a ninety-foot boat, hundred-foot boat, hundred and thirty, hundred and fifty-foot boat. 
yeah, it's gnarly and it gets real nautical, but those those guys that do it successfully on the East Coast and they do it all the time really see some shit. You're saying 270 days for some bad bad weather days in the Yeah, a lot of, lots of bad days, even because most of those lobster guys are between 36 and 45 feet long. Yeah. So, but how did you get on the boat? When you're 10, you're already going on a boat? I mean, My father was a commercial fisherman for a short time. He, he worked mostly in the party boat industry, the head boat industry, where he took people out fishing. Well, my older brother, Dan, he was all about commercial. Like, that was his thing. That was his gig. He ran a dragger. He went lob, offshore lobster, and he fished out of uh, Gloucester and Portland, Maine, and then he went out to Montauk, New York, and fished out of there for a number of years. So I always had it in my head, you know, that I was going to be on a boat. I just, I didn't know how. So at 10? So at 10 years old, I get on this dragger um, that my father was on, and we went out, and it was just a day trip. But, you know, it was, I think, January. It was horrible out. It was rough. And uh, and it was just scary, everything clanging and slamming around, and the doors coming up and cable flying by me. And we started to set the net out, and my dad went and told me to go back there and... and um, let it out and I was just like I don't know what the hell I'm doing you know so after one day of that he decided that I wasn't going to do any winter fishing that I shouldn't be on a commercial boat till I get older and I started commercial fishing uh, lobstering when I was 12 I was working as a deckhand on a lobster boat mm-hmm. and I did that for a while but uh, I've fished pretty much everything you can fish in the northeast I've done lobstering inshore and offshore gillnet and dragon scalloping uh, tub trawling which is long line and you name it, I've done it. Yeah, we've never we've never had anybody on here that's done lobster for damn sure. Or yeah. At least nobody that's ever mentioned it. Is it? I mean, you you obviously you crab now. Yeah, I'm a crab fisherman. I've been crabbing on the Southern Wind for 13 years now, and uh, it's comparable work. I mean, it's just a it's a grind. You're moving heavy stuff all day. You know, crab guys and lobster guys don't believe that the job can be similar, but it's still heavy gear work. You're actually doing a lot more physical labor on a lobster boat because your hand moving the pots you know you don't have a crane to move anything but the pots are between 100 and 120 pounds you know they're offshore gear and you're stacking those five high all day you know with your back not with a crane Mm -hmm. so i did that for a long time um a lot of my family and they went lobster and a lot of my friends were lobstermen and when i got out of high school i was hell-bent on buying a lobster boat that's what i was going to do i was going to go get a loan and they were giving out loans then and lobster licenses like they were nothing. And I said, I'm going to go get a boat. And my, my father said, he said, nope, you're going to go to school. He said, once you get your degree, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. He's like, but there's no way in hell you're buying a boat. So then you bought the boat? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted I a boat so I just know you bad. pretty well. So. I've always wanted a boat so bad, man. I ran my own boat uh, back east a number of years ago. I ran a gillnet boat. And um, the first year that I did it, you know, I only did it for about a month, and I fished out there with basically one other guy because we were fishing inside of everybody else, and he was a friend of mine, but he wasn't a lot of help, and I expected him to help me out, and he just kind of didn't want anyone in his spot, you know, so the next year I went out, and out of 250 boats from Portland, Maine to New Bedford, Mass., I came in number four. On your second on my second year doing it and that was a full summer fishing out on jeffrey's I, re- I remember you going back after crab and that going back east and you'd say well i got time to go to work again and you'd yep. go back to fish over there yeah so. i used to fish uh 10 and a half to 11 months a year mm-hmm. and then i had started having kids and i said you know 
it's too much time. I can't, I can't keep doing this. And it was beating me up, you know. Um, I made a ton of money doing it, and I did really well, but I just, I couldn't do it anymore and still raise a family. Yeah. What brought you out to, to Alaska then? So, 13 years ago, I was flaking nets on my gillnet boat, and I get this phone call. And it was right after that Discovery show had come out. And everyone that was anybody who was from the Northeast that was a fisherman wanted to try Alaskan crab fishing. Like, that was the be-all and end-all. You wanted to be a crabber. No matter what, like, that was your test. If you're really hardcore. Before the show came out? Right when the show came out oh. because we had the exposure to it. You know, okay. the, the guys, we all knew about Alaskan crab fishing, but no one really knew in depth of what the guys went through. So when the show came out, everyone was like, I could do that. Fuck, I want to do that. Like, oh my God, like, that'd be awesome. We could make tons of money. We could work. We, we could do it. You know, we've been doing this for so long. Well, the show comes out, and I'm ba- I'm at home, and I'm flaking nets on my boat. My phone rings. Like, Hello? Hi, this is Sonova Davidson from Trident Seafoods. And I said, who? She goes, Sonova Davidson, Trident Seafoods. I'm like, fuck is Trident Seafoods? Because back east, there is no Trident Seafoods. Right. Out west here, everybody knows who Trident is. You know, if you tell them you work for Trident, everybody knows. And and I was like, yeah, whatever. What do you want? She goes, well, I heard you're an engineer. I said, I am. She goes, and I heard you're a fisherman. I'm like, I am. What the fuck do you want? You did not say I that. I swear to God. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, excuse me? I, I knew it was God. <laughs> She's like, she would not tolerate Excuse that. me? And I said... What the fuck do you want, lady? And she goes, I'm trying to offer you a job on a crab boat. And I said, yeah, fuck you. Click. And I hung up. Because I thought it was one of my buddy's girlfriends just fucking with me, right? So I was like, I was like, what motherfucker? Because I didn't know the area code or nothing. I was like, fuck this guy. So I hang up the phone. Immediately she calls me back. And I'm like, hello. She goes, who the fuck do you think you are? And I was like, I don't know. You called me. She's a tough chick. <laughs> and she's like. She's like, yeah, it's Sonova again. And I was like, what the fuck kind of name is Sonova, right? Norwegian, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, whatever, lady. What the fuck do you want? She goes, well, Doug Davies gave me your number. And I'm like, Doug Davies. like, oh, Doug. It's Doug was an engineer on a ship that I had taken to Africa um, years, a couple years prior to that. And he was from Valdez, Alaska. And he had done some work for Trident. So he dropped my name and number. Because they were looking for a chief. Backpedal, backpedal, right? Back they're looking, <laughs> right? They're looking for a chief, and they're looking for a guy who's a fisherman. So I was like, "Oh, okay." Doug gave you my number. All right. So now I'll talk to you. So I talked to her for a little bit, and uh, she said, "Yeah, no, it's a boat. We just kind of got it here a year ago, and um, it's up in Homer, Alaska, and we're gonna have you go up there and get on it, and then go fishing." And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot." She's like, "Give it a shot? This is a crab job on like a a big badass crabber. Like, what do you mean, give it a shot? You get it? I need commitment here." And I was like, "I'll try it out." Like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what I'm up against. You know, like, sure, lady. And that's how I get started with Trident. But man, I think I pissed her off when I first met her. Yeah, she's she's not a person you piss off to. You know that that you want to piss off too much because no. she's tough. Yeah, she's a tough, she's a tough yeah. cookie. And Sonova, obviously, um, Norwegian. Norwegian, so, yes. Norwegian. Norwegian. Yeah, yes. yeah. And uh, there's some fire in there. So, All right, so then they call you up, and so you went up to Homer. So I show up in Homer, and uh, the Homer airport is tiny. For anyone who's never been to Homer, Alaska, it's about as big as a typical, like, four-car garage. It's not very big at all. 
And I walk in, and it's October, and I walk into the airport, and there's probably 10 people on this tiny little plane with me. They all get their shit, and they take off, and I'm standing there. Sky walks in, and I'm wearing a sweatshirt that says Muncie on the front with a crab and a, and, or with a lobster and a codfish, and then on the back, it's got the Heidi and Elizabeth, which is the boat that I fished on, Kittery, Maine. And this guy comes in on his phone, walks a complete fucking circle around me, and goes... I don't think he's here. I'm the only fucking guy standing there. That guy was Casey McManus. He was the one that was sent to come pick me up. And I looked at him and I go, are you fucking Casey? And he goes, yeah. Who are you? I'm like, look at the shirt right there. That's my name. Okay, Muncie. Like, that's fucking who I am, dipshit. And he goes, all right, let's go to the boat. I went down to the boat. I started checking it over. You know, and he was fucking running around in circles with the, some other guy. So I checked it out. It was pretty cool. Which is this the Billiken then? No, or was it was the Southern, southern wind? wind. Oh, right away. It was the southern okay. Wind. Yeah, right, right out the gate. It was on the Southern Wind, and uh, then I met Harold, Big Harold, who Big used Harold. to run the Royal Viking, and he comes over and he goes, "Uh, you the new chief?" And I go, "Yep." And he goes, "You licensed?" I said, "Yep." And he goes, "You ever been crab fishing?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "Oh." Fuck. <laughs> That's all the big age said to me. <laughs> Fuck. And I was like, okay. A, a lot of people that have been on here have, have uh, brought up Big Harold. Just a well, well-known Yeah, he was guy. a great, great guy. Yeah. So was he running the boat then? He was running the Royal Viking then, yeah. Oh, then. So. And then Harley shows up. He showed up the next day. Harley and Jan, who's Sonova's brother. So let's be clear about this. Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson. Which is Sonova's Just Sonova's husband. husband. Right. And then Jan Medhog, which is Sonova's brother. Of course, I didn't know that she was that I was working on a boat with her husband, this lady that I already pissed off, and her fucking brother. Thanks, babe, for the heads up. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's how I started. How was the first trip? Um, So the first trip, we stacked a shit ton of gear on, and we we were one guy short. Because one guy didn't, I don't know if he didn't pass his piss test or what the hell happened, but he didn't show up. So we get all this gear on. We had like 200 and something pots on the boat. And in walks Tracy. And this dude, I mean, you can just look at him and tell he's a biker. You know, tell Larimer? him. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. See, he just, he just Tracy. Know, you know that Tracy's a biker, right? Yeah. And he's a badass. And he jumps on the stack and we take off. So we start setting gear. And at that point, they were like, well, we need a stack guy. I guess you're it. And I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know what I'm doing. Just uh, make sure you untie all the ties. You know, we go out and we're plowing into it. And then the first roll the boat takes, it goes all the way over. And it stops at the bottom of this trough. And I'm leaned right over and I'm like, motherfucker, 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 motherfucker. <laughs> and then it, and it comes back up and it does it on the same on the next side. And I'm leaning over to port and I'm going, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. And it just stops. I mean, the fucking boat, 147 foot boat just stops. Side two to a wave, and I'm going. This is it. This is my. This is how I die. This is fucking it for me. Fucking awesome. Great. Yep. Glad I signed up. You guys, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta point out that as he was motherfucker, 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 he was literally leaning right till he was almost laying down, and then the holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, he was leaning left until he was almost laying down. You gotta let him know the direction. So, so you had a moment right there where you thought, "This is it. This I'm gonna bite it right here." It, what did, was there a time that it started to click that it, it reminded you just like lobster? Um, it, was a, it was a similar job? The grind was just like offshore lobster. And, you know, the hours and the, the hauling gear and the repetitive motion and everything that you were doing 
reminded me of lobstering, but it, it was 10 times harder. I mean, because I've been lobstering my whole life. And, and crab fishing, I had I had no idea what was going on. Everyone's yelling at you, you're running around, and you, you, you know, they call shit different things out here. And, you know, they call them lobster traps back home. Some guys call them pots, most guys call them traps. And then now you're fishing pots, and they don't call buoys buoys. Buoys are called bags. And I'm like, the first time somebody fucking, hey, Munts, go grab a bag set up. I'm like, what the fuck are you, what are you, I go, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, a bag setup. I don't, I, I'm like, I don't, what kind of bag? You want like a plastic bag or? Hefty? And he's like, you gallon. dumb shit. The, the big balls that are inside the pot. I'm like, oh, the buoys? They're not buoys, they're bags. Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, got it. Locked in. Don't worry. Locked in. I won't forget. Uh, speaking of speaking of calling terminology different, you mentioned uh, back east you were flaking your net. Oh, I was flaking the net out, which means that um, you're spreading your twine out, and that's how we pile the nets on um, on the east coast. So Bristol Bay, most everybody knows Bristol Bay gillnet, and they have a, a reel or a drum that they set the net out on, and they hydraulically haul it back. On the east coast, we fish on the bottom. So we have 15 to 20 nets in a string, and those are actually fishing on the bottom. And so in order to set them out, you have them all flaked out, leads on one side, floats on the other, and you flake them out in a pile per string, and then you set strings of gear. You don't actually set just like one net. Got you. So flaking, it, your, your terminology is you just spread your net out. Spread the net out. Putting the, the lead line on one side. And you're right, and laying it out so that you can go out and set. Okay, okay. Let's go, let's go back to the southern wind. So now... We're on there, and uh, this is 2005, I'm guessing, because you're on there 13 years now, right? 2005, 2005, yeah. 2006. Um, and then you have not left that boat. You've been on that boat the whole time. Well, I've been on the Southern Wind for 13 years, but I've also fished on some of Trident's other boats. I've, I've worked on the Billiken quite a few times. Uh, they have a hard time keeping a chief over there. And then I've worked on the Golden Dawn, which is one of Trident's draggers, with Gary Hansen and Mark Flansberg and Paul Drennan. And I fished uh, on the Island Enterprise, which is a catcher processor. I was the assistant chief on there. Um, I've worked on a processor, the Aleutian Falcon. I've kind of been all over the fleet. Well, when any any engineer that carries a license is a valuable asset, and so much so that you become a piece on the board that needs to be moved once in a while. Because uh, these vessels can't operate without a licensed chief. No, the, all the licensed vessels need a licensed chief, a licensed mate, and a licensed captain on board in order to operate, in order to fish, in order to do anything that's over 12 hours. So say... I went to the medic and they wanted to move the boat from this harbor to that harbor, they could do it without a chief, legally. But company policy's always been if that boat moves, all ICE personnel are gonna be on board. Right. So So that's that's what I mean uh, when I was saying that a licensed chief's so valuable. So Island Enterprise, for example, if their licensed chief had to fly home, another chief has to be on that boat. I mean, right. Just because a boat like the Island Enterprise, which is a catcher processor, you've got like 200 people on board i mean that's 200 people that aren't working you're not making money no one's making money yep so licensed licensed chiefs now th that's a hit or miss um especially in the fishing world because you can get a licensed chief to get on these boats but he's not going to go out on deck and that was one of the things i think that kept me in the industry so long is because they're like well shit this guy's got a license you know he's good at his job and he can work on deck you know, that's what, that's the whole reason they offered me the job, and that's the whole reason I've stayed where I've stayed. Um, 
but you get all these licensed guys that that are used to ships and they're used to reading gauges and drinking coffee and doing certain, you know, either twelve-hour shifts or they're you know twelve hours a day, and they're not used to the grind of a crab boat. So, you know, if you get a licensed chief that works on deck, you're doing pretty good. I think most of Trident's uh, chiefs are are, are deck, working on deck. Mo- uh, the majority they, of them I do. only know of a couple, and they're, that's because they're they're getting up there at this point, you know, uh, where they're doing. Uh, some of the night toes or whatnot, just because uh, not doing a lot of the deck work anymore. Yeah, most of the guys that uh, that work in Alaska that are chiefs on the in the fishing world work on deck. Yeah. I mean, you don't stick around long if you're just a, a paper chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, and that and sometimes those are needed too. Sometimes in order to make those trips, uh, I recall one vessel that was uh, in Dutch Harbor had to go to Kodiak, didn't have a chief on board. Right. Had to get one. Yep. So you just grab somebody with a piece of paper and. and you know, you got to go. Which is good, but you got to understand, if you're a licensed individual, whether you're a chief, a captain, or a mate, and, and a lot of people don't get this, like, some people, when they they say they got a license, they think that that's the be-all and end-all, and now I'm the best thing going, and I'm better than, you know, sliced bread. There's no way that you can ever beat me. Well, good for fucking you. A lot of times it doesn't mean anything. It just means that you have a piece of paper. The other is also true, that if these guys are licensed, you know, you need them. They got to be on the boat. Yeah. So, you know, the companies can get screwed sometimes by having personnel that in places because they ha- just because they have a license and not necessarily in that particular instance. Uh, that boat, the the captain of the boat was formerly the chief engineer on the boat, right? So he knew the boat really well. And and you're right, you don't want to just stick somebody on there with a paper because if there's a job that has to be done, something's going on. You want your guy to know what he's doing. Right. But uh, in that particular case, the captain knew, you know, obviously knew the boat really well. And they were just just hired him to ride from Dutch to Kodiak. Period. Right. So they had their other licensed chief waiting there. But yeah, just a, just an instance of that. You know. But what guys don't understand is with a license, uh, there's a shit ton of responsibility. I mean, a ton of responsibility. Not only are you the fall guy if anything happens. For instance, if you're a chief and there's a fuel spill, I mean that's on you. That's on you and the captain. That's it. There's you. You're definitely a fall guy. And there's some companies out there that will hire you to be a fall guy. And you got to be aware of that. The other thing is that being a licensed chief engineer or a licensed mate or a licensed captain, if you get a DUI or an OUI and you get in trouble or you pop a piss test, you know, say you smoke some weed on your off time, next thing you know you fail a, a whiz quiz, you're screwed. Whiz quiz. Because they will lose. Yes, a whiz quiz. It's a piss test. Whiz quiz. Yeah. So you, you'll get screwed because not only will you lose your job, then they're going to take your license. Now there goes your career, you know, yeah. because most guys you know, if you've working on only licensed boats, they're not going to just hire a guy because he's a chief. They're going to want a licensed chief back again. So there you go. I mean, you can't, you can't afford to screw up. Yeah, no, no, it's a, it's a deal. It's a deal. Do you, uh, you told us you were scared the first time you went out, but do you, you recall the time that you were the scaredest out on a boat? The time that I was the scaredest on a boat actually happened, uh, on the East coast. And I was on a dragger. I was 19 years old. And we went out fishing, and it was a small dragger. It was blown about 40. We set the net out, and we were in a tow. And I went out on deck, and we took a wall of green water. And I got washed from the port side, the left-hand side of the vessel, up and over to over the house of the boat and landed on the starboard side 
with one leg off and one leg on. And that was real life under the power of the, the ocean. You know, I, I thought I was this badass, you know, teenage crab fish or teenage fisherman. And I, when I got washed out like that and just saw the sheer power of what the hell this ocean can do to me, I thought that was it. Like I thought I was gone because I floated, you know, up and over. And I thought that was bye bye. You know, mm-hmm. um, that was probably the scariest moment I've had on a deck. There's been plenty of moments, crab fishing, where it's been hairy and sketchy. But I've been doing it so long now that it doesn't really affect me. You know, my first season was was definitely intimidating, but I don't think I was ever scared. Just intimidated. Just intimidated. Did you have a when you had that experience back east? Did you have a life vest on? PFD. <laughs> I'm just pointing out that back then, you know, it wasn't. Nobody wears life vests on the East Coast. Still? Nobody. Still? Nobody. What's their casualty rate? I mean, it's got to be bad if nobody's wearing PFDs. Lobsterman-wise, it's pretty high. Um, you don't get guys that wash off a lot. You don't. It only takes once. Yeah, but you don't. It doesn't. It's it's not such a common occurrence as it is in the Bering Sea. Um, and in the Bering Sea, it's because shit comes up out of nowhere. You know, a lot of these guys fishing back east, I mean, they'll get wrapped up and they'll go in the water, but you are you can get them back. You know, and I'm sure there's guys that go over all the time, lobstering, but you never hear about it. Now, I know the offshore guys have started wearing them, the guys that fish trawls of gear, long, long strings of gear, you know, 50 to 100 in a string. I've seen some videos online, and those guys are all wearing, like, the work vest PFDs like we do. But um, for the majority of them, that's their least concern. Mm-hmm. They're worried about how much money they're going to spend to go fishing every day. Yeah, yeah. What about, I know you were involved in a pretty hairy experience here a few years back. Um, not with your vessel. With Mr. And French? Yeah, we don't, uh, he, uh, Brandon was on here, and he shared his experience with it. But when, when, I, when I've been told the story over and over, your name comes up. So I, I'd like to get your perspective of that day. Or that, that. The day that they tried to sink the boat. Oh, is that what we're going to call it? The day that they tried. To, they tried. They didn't succeed. But uh, so I was on deck of my boat, the Southern Wind, and Jeff Boddington was the captain. And Good he old came, He came running down and said, get the emergency pump out. Eddie's going down. So we threw our emergency dual watering pump into this chick's skiff, and she took off, headed for the Gladiator. And I climbed up on the bow, because I could see Eddie, clear line of sight. I climbed up on the bow to look at him. And he was probably about a mile from a beach. And I saw just black rolling out of the boat. So I knew that he was putting it in the corner. Like, there's no fucking doubt in my mind. And one of the, that was a pretty scary moment. You see him start traveling, and then his bow just started going down lower and lower and lower. We're talking a big boat, and I'm watching this bow head for the water line, you know, and it, it looked like he was going to sink before he got it on that beach. He gets it up on the beach, and I ran upstairs, and I called him on the radio, and I said, Ed, what do you need? And he said, I don't know. So, jumped in my skiff. I grabbed Matt, one of the young kids that was with me, jumped in the skiff, zoomed over to him. Jumped on board, and I remember seeing Sean. And the first thing Sean did, because we used to fish together, was hug me and tell me thank you. Because they were all just insane, running around. They had no idea what the hell was going on. You know, everything, they were freaking out. So I think just having peace of mind that there was someone else there. There was someone that 
just showed up that wasn't in full panic mode, like, it changed their mindset. They were in an, oh, fuck, we're going to sink scenario, and then they saw someone else show up. So they knew that they were going to have help, right? So I go running in. First thing I do Were they on the beach at this time? They were nose up on the beach. Okay. And uh, still sinking. And I go running down below, and I see just water everywhere. You know, the, the bilge is flooding, and they got pumps going, and they're not keeping up. And I saw a giant plume of water coming out of where the keel cooler used to be. They ripped it off. Um, so I took a couple of DC plugs, and I pounded them in there real quick. And basically, I made Brandon and Matt my gophers. Because Brandon was a little overwhelmed. You know, I mean, he hadn't been chiefing that long on that boat. And I'm sure it was the first time he'd ever been aground. And probably the first time for Eddie, too. But everybody was freaking out. And I said, okay, go do this. And so they'd bring me wedges or they'd bring me uh, damage control gear or whatever the hell I needed. So at that point, I wanted to assess where all the holes were. And I went into the void. It's just forward or the engine room. And there's a bow thruster in there. And I could see this hole. But it wasn't a hole. It was like a tear but it almost made a half scoop. So you could, couldn't could really get anything in there. You couldn't get like a plug or a wedge or anything because of where it was at. So I said, get a pump going on in here. And so the Mark was running a pump down and I ran back. I laid down next to the engine and there's just this flat surface of water just screaming in. And I couldn't see a crack, I couldn't see a hole. And I'm like, well, fuck that one. I can't do anything about that. And I looked down to the sea chest where you could see all this water was coming up and you could see a couple rocks sticking out. So I climbed down in there and I put a wedge in one side and I started hammering it in. We got another pump going and the level started going down a little bit and I reached underneath. Now it's boxed off by these two pipes. There's two pipes right there and there's a rip underneath it and you can you can feel it, but you can't really fucking get to it without wedging yourself. So the, the yourself. hole is be below two it's pipes below that are two running pipes. parallel that are right next to each other and there's a hole right there and it goes from about two inches of an opening down to a half an inch and I had gotten the half inch side from from the side but I couldn't get this big fucking gap because there's rocks and all this shit in it so I looked at Matt and I go Matt get as many wedges as you can and he goes okay and I climbed down I circled to soleil my ass in there because it was like I mean you had to be double jointed to get into this little hole and I get down in there and I fucking grab it and I said, all right, every time my hand comes up, give me a wedge. And he goes, okay. And I reached in and I grabbed these rocks, not thinking. Now I'm thinking I got to plug the hole, but I get the shit out of the way. And I yank these rocks out. And the water starts coming up. Mm-hmm. And this is another moment in my life where I'm like, this is where it happens. This is fucking it, right? Put my hand up, grab a wedge, hammer. Hand up, grab a wedge, hammer. Now that, now it's up to my face. Grab a wedge, hammer. Grab a wedge, hammer. Now it comes up over my ears because I'm face down, right? So it com- comes up over my ears, and I just keep putting my hand up. And he's handing me these wedges. And it, it was probably 15 to 30 seconds. Felt like two hours. Because I'm in a position I can't move. I'm fucking dead. Like, I'm going to drown if I don't stop this. So I finally get it stemmed enough, stopped enough, that the water starts receding. And it comes down around my face real slow, and then it comes past my nose and my mouth, and... <gasps> Fuck! <laughs> oh my god! And I look up, and Matt was pale white. I just remember the look on his face. He was pale white. Got that stopped. Then we started locating the other holes and filling those, but I think I was on that boat for 16 hours, patching holes. And that was the day I was supposed to go home. And I get done off the boat, and I jump in the skiff, and I go back to my boat, 
and the chief that was supposed to be filling in with me had set the anchor and driven it into gear on the way down and sheared the shaft. So now we can't pick our anchor up. So I can't go in. So your work's not so done. So I can't go home. And I've already been in full crisis mode, right? So I'm tired. I'm soaking wet. I'm all beat up. I get the anchor up. That was a big debacle. I finally get the anchor up. It took me about three hours of Chinese in it, which is we grabbed it with one crane and pulled it up about six feet. Grabbed the wire with the next crane, pulled that up about six feet. And we just kept doing that, chinese it up like a Chinese finger trap. And uh, finally got it up. And we went and got Matt and headed for town. That was a long day. Yeah, I, I can uh, I can get having someone come on the boat that didn't, be, because just prior to even you getting there, they had experienced a lot of things. I mean, a lot of things. Oh, there was a giant sh- shock factor. I mean, yeah. you're, they were in full crisis mode, you know. And and I think, I mean, they handled themselves amazingly, given the situation. And and we all did. We all. I mean, we managed managed to save the boat. Yeah. And, and Eddie even talking to him about it. Yeah. He he came on the podcast and talked about it. Did he? And that was uh, that was one of his scariest moments. I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously, of course. Um, Did he tell you that it was actually his birthday too? No, no, it but, was his fucking birthday. But, but, but I will say that Eddie French that came in in here and sat down to be interviewed is a different Eddie French than I know. Uh, he was just far more serious that day, you know, um, knowing we were going to talk about it, right? Uh, knowing it was going to come up because uh, normally you, he wasn't the fun Eddie. Yeah, yeah, Eddie's just fun and and such a great guy. But he was pretty serious that day. You know, uh, it was. You should listen to it because I know you haven't listened to his. No, I haven't. So, uh, from from all, all different perspectives, it's a really unique uh, look at it. Now, have you had any moments like that on your own boat, where you were the one being scared and maybe needed some support? On the Southern Wind, I I, uh, I haven't had too many catastrophes. We've had some oh shit moments, but no oh shit we're gonna sink moments. We've had. Uh, a little, we had a galley fire one time um, where the, the oven, there was a bunch of insulation in the oven and grease had gotten in between two parts of the oven and cracked down the seam. And uh, I came in off a deck and the whole galley was black smoke. It was burning in between the cooktop and the oven range huh. itself. Yeah. So I ended up cutting it off with a grinder and ripping it apart and dumping water in it. That was, that was what I... Uh, ended up doing there but we haven't had any knock on wood we haven't had any huge catastrophes or nothing that i haven't been able to deal with pretty efficiently and fast but it's also been my boat for 13 years so you know every i know everything that can happen on that boat and i know where everything is at and i've done my best to ensure that if we have oh shits come up we can fix it What, what about some good times some good times well, knowing you, you you make everything a good time. So you got to be that guy on the boat. But. I am the guy that keeps everyone laughing. You know, currently I'm the guy that does everything. Currently I'm the chief, the deck boss, the cook, the guy who does all the ordering of all the food, <laughs> the guy who orders all the parts. But with all those things, you know, if you're a chief, you got to make sure the creature comforts are there. You got to make sure guys are taken care of. You make sure that you've got you know, hot water to take a shower and your toilet works right and all that Heater's stuff. Working. Heaters working. Or the air conditioner if it's that kind of... I wish. You know, <laughs> we're not a dragger. We're not that fancy. But um, being the cook on the boat, I think, gives the guys the most sense of enjoyment. Because when you're out there and you're fishing and you're grinding up against it and you come into a meal and it's like 
Like, I put on a spread. I mean, I don't just throw a piece of meat in the oven, pull it out, and like, here, guys. Here you go, guys. Here's some canned corn. You know, it's typically a slow roast or it's a steak done all, you know, that I've marinated or what have you. They get like a four course meal when they come in to eat. And the difference between having a meal like that and having some shit out of a microwave is night and day. It's morale. Night and day. And it keeps the guys smiling. It keeps them happy. It keeps them fed on deck. When we get out on deck, I am what you would call sarcastic. I don't know if you know that about me, Mark. Oh, oh, yeah. But uh, for anyone who doesn't know the definition of, of such, you will when I'm done. So when guys will say stuff to me, I use my sarcasm but in kind of a leading manner. So I'll have a new deckhand, and I'll be like, well, where where does this go? And I'll go, well, if I were me, which I am, which is good, I would put that right here. <laughs> I can see it exactly that way for me, Lindsay. <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll come back to me, and they're like, put it there every time? I said, well, if I were me, I'd put it there every time, because that's where it fucking goes, <laughs> okay? That's where it belongs. <coughs> but that's how I act towards them. Because I, I like to be serious and, and, and have a crew that that's locked on and has everything put away. And, and I'm OCD about shit being put away. But I like to teach them through humor. You know, I don't like working for yellers. If I were me. If I, I were am. Me, which I am. That's how I would do it. But uh, when, when guys will ask me questions, oftentimes they're like, hey, is this going to work? Well, it either will or it won't. Fucked if I know, dude. Probably. Let's figure it out. Let's find out. You know? Um, and I'm not afraid to get my to get in there and, and get dirty and, and do any job that these guys are doing, and I do every job on the boat. So no one can give me shit. Nobody. Well, no, nobody's ever going to say that you're not a worker. I mean, hell, today's Saturday. It's most people's weekends, right? Right. I come to pick you up from your boat at 11 o'clock, and you come out in Carhartt's in Greece. Yes. Yeah. Because you were working. I've been working since yep. four. Yep. Yeah. Nobody's going to accuse yeah. you of not working. No, I work. I work hard, but. I think keeping morale up on a boat, especially on the deck of a boat, and especially in, a, in any fishery where it's monotonous and it's a grind and it's hard, you keep guys happy and laughing, they're going to work through some crazy it's shit Pretty good team. Pretty good team. Yeah. What about, uh, what, what advice would you have for people trying to get into the industry? Or would you even suggest that they do so? I wouldn't suggest that anyone try it in the Northeast right now. You know, unfortunately in the Northeast fishery, with government shutdowns and, and the limits that are being put on these guys, they're not making it an industry that young guys want to get into. You know, there's still quite a few lobstermen, but the prices that you pay for bait and fuel and a boat, and you got three mortgages before you're 25. I mean, it's not worth it. If you're going to come out to Alaska and fish in Alaska, I suggest getting in with a big company or getting in someplace where you have a niche. But don't be afraid to try different shit. Like, guys will get on a crabber and think, well, this is it. I'm going to be a crabber. And they're not necessarily good at being crabbers. They might suck. They might not be able to throw the hook or do anything with bait. Like, that's their job. They do bait for, like, six years. Why the hell would you do that? So, when you get up to Alaska, if you want to go fishing up here, try everything. Yeah, there's a lot of things Don't to do. just fish on one boat. Because once you've fished on a saner, a gillnetter, a longliner, a crabber, a trawler... You've covered your ground, right? Now you know what you enjoy to do. And and the problem with a lot of these guys that still fish up here is they're just fishing to pay the bills. You know, they don't enjoy their job. And and this is this rings true for anybody who has a job. If you don't love what you do, do something else. Yeah. 
Because all you're going to do is either take that out on your loved ones or you're going to take that out on yourself, you know, and, and you're just going to be fucking miserable. Oh, great. I make $400,000 a year, but I hate my fucking life. Well, it's true. I mean, money's not going to buy what makes you happy. You know, when I met my, my wife now, I had nothing. I but mean, that's because your other one got it. That's true story. Uh, just saying. I had nothing because my ex had completely cleaned me out. And I mean cleaned me out. Uh, I think a lot of that you kind of gave up for the kids, though. I did. I, I gave up a lot of shit for my kids. But when my wife met me, I had nothing. And she had nothing. She still doesn't really have much. <laughs> She's going to listen to this. I don't care. She, she doesn't have a lot. She doesn't need a lot. She's got me. So I know that when we fell in love... We fell in love with each other and not, like, some pipe dream of how much money or, how, you know, this guy's going to build me a mansion. Or, like, when I first met her, I was sleeping in a cabin behind her parents' house with her that didn't even have a shitter. So, in the middle of the night, instead of going into my father-in-law's house and waking him up, I would shit in the woods. Because I didn't want to wake up this guy I didn't even know. But I was in love with his daughter enough to sleep in this shitty little cabin where it's freezing cold in Alaska. And then if I had to go, I'd just go out in the woods. Does a Muncie shit in the woods? Yes, he does. If there's no one around to hear it. <laughs> uh, we're about out of time here, Muncie. Anything you want to close on here? No, I, you know, it's a pipe dream for a lot of people, this lifestyle. Fishing, what people don't understand about fishing is it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's everything that you do. If you're part of a fishing family, you eat, sleep, and breathe fish. I mean, it doesn't matter. Everything you do, everything is centered around your job because that's your life. I mean, that's your livelihood. That's what your family's going to end up doing 90% of the time. That's what everyone around you does. That's where your family is. I mean, my ex and I didn't get along because of that. She didn't understand that this is who I am. You know, I mean, you were. It's, it's a downfall for a lot of marriages, time apart. You know, it's just not, yeah, you're, you said it best. It's just who you are. It's just who I am. So before we go, we'll encourage everyone, of course, to uh, eat wild Alaska seafood. Of course. Uh, wild Alaska seafood. And if it can't be wild Alaska seafood, at least make sure it's wild seafood. It's got to be wild no, seafood. No farm shit up in here. But um, that's going to be it today, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in for another installment. Uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on social media. And if you could, take the time to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, we will see you guys next time. Thanks, Muncie, for coming today. No problem, bud. Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes, whether you like it or not. We're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too, and reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.